Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Miami has so much appeal. A great place to get a seafood meal. Miami. Miami, Miami, you've got style. So guys, uh, we have another very special, very special, very, very special episode of Out on the Lanai today. Um, We are chatting with Mark Sotkin, who was a co-executive producer on The Golden Girls uh, from seasons five through seven and wrote some of our favorite episodes. Mark, thank you so, so much for being here with us today via Skype. My pleasure. This is so high tech of us. This is the first Skype interview we've done. Oh, I do them all the time. It works great. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be okay. All right. Oh, thank goodness. Because we're just on the other end, just clutching hands, so nervous (laughs) at how this is going to go. You guys, Mark wrote, I mean, just list off some of these episodes that Mark wrote. Well, first, Mark wrote all of the Ebb Tide episodes, which I'm I'm so curious to know where where those, where that name comes from. He and I, HL and I, were actually sitting around. We're like, wait, where? where, Is it a hurricane thing? Is it a, like... (laughs) Is it a metaphor? But you wrote yeah. um, Ebb Tide, Ebb Tide's Revenge. Um, Let's the, give some context okay. for the listeners. So, Because, uh, I mean, oftentimes people watching the episodes, they don't know the names of the episodes. They mm-hmm. only know, like, the situation. So Mark wrote the episode where, I mean, one of the most iconic favorite episodes. We asked you guys which was your favorite episodes, and it was the one where Phil passed away. Which and, was Ebb Tide's Revenge. Which was Ebb Tide's Revenge, mm-hmm. which is a very popular episode. And Mark wrote that one, wrote the one where George, or no, Big Daddy passed away. Yes, and Ebb Tide. Ebb Tide. Another all the, all the dead episodes. I all, specialize in the dead episodes. Did yeah. you specialize in the dead episodes? Oh, it sort of turned out that way. It wasn't my, my plan, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those were two... I mean, when people talk about the big emotional episodes of the Golden Girls, the ones that are really memorable for amazing performances and just being really emotional stories, those are two episodes that, that a lot of the fans yeah. talk about as as you know two of their favorites. Um, because I cry we... every time at the Phil episode. Oh, the I mean, Phil that episode. One. Yeah. Oh, when she. I says, don't know if you're picking this up. Is it like a jet plane flying over right now? And I don't oh know. no, it's the memory of Sophia. That's get it, that is. Get it. That's... Well, <laughs> still, still haunting me. <laughs> no, we don't hear it at all. You're good. Yeah, you're good. Um, so here's the deal with Eptide. Okay, and where it came from. So every other show that I've worked on. Uh, for instance, I did four years of It's a Living in first run syndication just before Golden Girls. Yeah. And the show, but the titles I always used were so if there was one where, um, let's say Amy is dating somebody, uh, it would be the Amy and Joe show. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. we know it's Amy and Joe. Okay. And I don't yeah. have to figure out what, what that episode was about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I, the first, Golden Girls that I wrote um, was getting Rose out of the um, the uh, business of, of helping people whose family had died. Yeah. yeah. The grief counseling business. That was Rose Fights Back. Yes. Mm-hmm. So originally I entitled it uh, Rose's New Job Show. Okay. <laughs> and I always started them with the and show. So uh-huh. I know exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Witt and Tony Thomas said, you can't do this on Golden Girls. It's too big a show. You can't call it the Rose's new job show. <laughs> so, um, you know, there was a consumer reporter in, uh, in L.A. at that time whose segments were called Fight Back. Mm-hmm. So Tony actually named it Rose Fights Back. Oh. So the second episode that I wrote, which was when Big Daddy died, uh, I named it Ebb Tide just to see if that would fly. It has absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with anything. Wow. <laughs> okay. And so, and they accepted that immediately. 
Wow. Okay. wow. And then yeah. you kept it for the other episode? And so then it became Ebb Tide's Revenge. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and then it became Ebb Tide 5, The Wrath of Stan. Wow. The monkey um, episode. Right? No, that was the one where Stan and Dorothy have to live. Oh, They're slumlords. Right. They yeah. have to live and in their bug-infested place. Right. Yes. Uh, the Monkey Show, which was a two-parter that I wrote with, with Mitch Hurwitz, so I didn't get to call it a, a, an ebb tide. Yeah. <laughs> but people are always wondering what great emotional tie that, uh, that ebb tide like has to the episode. It was just to piss Paul and Tony off. That's so, that's so funny. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. We, we've always wondered. We're like, what are all these? And then we, and then when we that, noticed that you had written them all, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is sort of like an inside joke between them. Nope. Um, just between me and me, it's silly. But <laughs> I mean, it made me happy. <laughs> it's great. It's like when uh, when Family Guy first started. If you look at the fir- in their first season, they tried to put the word death in every title. It oh, would wow. say like, you know, death has a telephone number in the name of death. They wanted them to sound like these like old timey radio shows. And then they realized if this show's on for a while, we're gonna have to come up with weird, clever nicknames yeah. with the word death. So they aborted it after like four or five episodes yeah. but so so nobody ever busted me on uh on ebb tide mm-hmm. uh the other thing they never got seemed to catch on to was you know whenever you name an outside character you have to get that name clear mm-hmm. yeah so if it was morgan and they'd say no you can't we, there's a morgan in miami no matter what the name was i would change the first letter to an n so morgan would become norgan so if you really pay attention to episodes, you'll hear a lot of people's names start with, uh, uh, I mean, your last name, uh, it's, if it's H. Allen, you'd be H. Nallen. Uh, uh, so. No, that's funny, funny, actually. We did that, um, I uh, used to work on a show called The Goldbergs, and they wanted to say Arby's in an mm. episode, but they couldn't get it cleared, so they right. called it Narby's. And yeah, it was, so. oh yeah, I met her over at, uh, at an Arby's. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's there funny. Yeah. So we're getting ahead of ourselves because you have such a good career and such an interesting career that uh, that we want to sort of know a little bit about what led you to the Golden Girls. Um, so what, like, how did you get started in television writing? So um, I was selling DVD underwear in Houston, Texas, as a traveling salesman. Wait, you were selling uh, underwear as a traveling salesman? DVD underwear, yeah. Wow. Uh, driving 40,000 miles a year and half of Texas, and after two years, I said to my wife, I can always get a job that I hate as much as this. Let's go to Hollywood and oh see my what gosh. happens. So we did, and um, I wound up, um, I started writing spec scripts, which people tend to do, but I also wound up performing in an improvisational comedy show called Off the Wall um, that... Um, you know, I used to be amazed when I watched The Tonight Show how people seem to know each other from day one of show business. Mm-hmm. And Gary Shandling was in, this, in the class that I took, and Robin Williams was around. It was, it was a great group, and uh, I wound up performing in the show, and after about a year and a half, uh, a producer came to the show and asked three of us, uh, Chris Thompson, the guy who created Bosom Buddies, mm-hmm. um, who recently passed away, Judy Pioli, who's now Judy Askins, and me, and asked if we wanted to be the, the writing staff on a new show that he had sold to NBC mm-hmm. uh, called Sirota's Court. Yeah. And um, didn't ask to see my spec scripts or anything. Uh, I said, do you want to read these? He said, well, what if I don't like them? You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, what if you do like them? <laughs> so uh, the three of us went to work on Sirota's Court, which lasted for 12 episodes. And just when we were canceled, um, Cindy Williams had had the entire writing staff of uh, Laverne and Shirley fired because she didn't feel like they were writing her character. And the guy who discovered the three of us, Judy, Chris, and I, Harvey Miller, had produced The Odd Couple for Gary. So he was uh, with Gary Marshall. And so they knew each other and he said, you should hire these three people. And so we went to Laverne and Shirley and stayed there um, for a few years, then I left to do a uh, pilot for a show called Working Stiffs with, uh, with Jim Belushi and Michael Keaton, wow. um, which didn't last very long. But um, so that anyway, that's how I, it happened. You know, wow. every, everybody seems to get have a diff, you know gets discovered a different way. Sure. And um, 
That's something that definitely Carrie and I, real, I mean, Carrie and I both are comedy writers, and it's it's something that you, you realize when you get to Los Angeles that, like, when you're not in Los Angeles, you see people writing on shows, and you think there's this whole path. There's this traditional path that you take, and there is no path. to. There is no path, Yeah, and everybody has that. It's funny, because I was selling men's underwear, and, and Judy, who got discovered, was working in a falsy factory, so we... And, you know, we, we had that bond always. Yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. The, I love that you were selling men's underwear. On like, the road, well, it, too. It was, it was a weird deal. It was like I, I had had another job. I, I was in New Jersey, and it turned out I needed a job and went and got, you know, went to an employment agency, and they said, you're going to like these people. And it was like, okay, fine. And I went, and they hired me, and they sent me to Texas like a week later. Um and wound up selling BBD underwear. What, and what was your sales trick for selling underwear? Did you have a Did you have like a trick? Is there something that you learned as you were kind of going like, "Oh, this works"? So I was really lucky that um, there used to be a chain of stores called W. T. Grant mm-hmm. that is no longer with us, and they were kind of like Woolco's and Kmart's. And the reason they're no longer in business is they had this crazy big expansion program. And so every month or so, they were opening a superstore in my territory. And so I would go in and say, well, everybody's got 40 feet of BVD. I guess that's what you want too, right? (laughs) And I was dealing with, you know, like the manager of the men's department, Mm -hmm. not even the store manager. And they, well, if everybody else has 40 feet, I guess I need 40 feet. Um, That's a lot of underwear. 40 feet of underwear is a lot of underwear. (laughs) So everybody was... (laughs) was under the false impression that I actually was a good underwear salesman. <laughs> I opened very few like new accounts where I would go and knock on somebody's door and everything. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was, you know, the store owners would, would yell at me for overstocking and I would, Mr. Gotchman, Father's Day is coming. You're going to be calling me for those 32 briefs. That's why they're back there. <laughs> do all of Do you look at underwear differently now? No, but you know, when I left, I had kept so many samples <laughs> that actually when I went into that improv, that original improv class, uh, I actually did a trade. I didn't pay for the class. I gave the Dee Marcus, the wonderful woman who ran it, uh, her son got a lot of BBD underwear. Amazing. <laughs> and that's, uh, yeah. It's an so. amazing, wow, underwear got you to Hollywood. Yeah. Um, oh. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. So um, what, what led you to the Golden Girls then? How did you get on the Golden Girls? So um, at some point, uh, at one point, uh, just through my agent, um, we got, I, I and Judy, the Judy of Marcus and Judy, uh, got hired to be the showrunners uh, for Whit Thomas Harris on a show called I'm a Big Girl Now. Mm-hmm. That was with uh, Diana Canova and Danny Thomas. Mm-hmm. And we did that, and that show unfortunately didn't make it, but it created a, a, a relationship with Paul and Tony. And um, then I was wound up uh, producing It's a Living for them, mm-hmm. uh, which was in first-run syndication. So a lot of people never saw it. It was on different times in different markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, in L.A., it was... Our lead-in was Raiders Playbook on Saturday afternoon. At <laughs> well, and that was a thing in the '80s. The syndication of sitcoms. I mean, it doesn't. So what? What had happened was the um, the Cosby Show had just become a big hit in rerun and syndication, mm-hmm. and people realized, well, maybe we should just start making these things as originals. Yeah. And It's a Living was a show that had been on ABC for one season, and it uh, that first season it was. The first season that cable made real inroads into ratings, mm-hmm. so it was canceled with like a 27 share. Now, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but if a show today had a 27 share, they would kill for a 27 share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was the first the first year that a 27 share they didn't realize what it meant, so it was canceled at ABC. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul and Tony made a deal that got it into first run syndication. And I did it for four years. Um, It was like my dad's got a bar and let's do a show. There were no network notes. 
Wow. Uh, uh, there were no studio notes. Wow, that sounds uh, like a dream. Uh, as writers, you understand what, yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Total creative freedom, basically. Well, it's funny because in the last season, we had one of the characters was, she wasn't pregnant, but we were playing her as, as pregnant. And Paul Witt actually congratulated the actress. <laughs> so that I knew that they weren't reading scripts either. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so, so funny. They were just maybe looking at cuts of the show. Maybe yes, maybe no. So I, I did. we did four years of that, which was great. And, wow. I, and, and of the 22 shows that we would do a year, I was writing eight or nine of them. So wow, it was that's great. Also, I, it, was, it was a show that I also loved to write and heard the characters, and it was just a lot of fun writing it. Um, so when it ended, uh, as it turned out, it was just when, um, the original group who were running Golden Girls were leaving, um, you, I don't know what the audience knows, but very often sitcom writers will stay on a show for three or four years and then you run out of story ideas and they bring in new people. Mm -hmm. So they were looking for who was going to run Golden Girls, um, and it was me. So, wow. That's there you great. go. So you got picked up from It's a Living. So yeah, so there was just a short, there's actually a short period that I left for just a couple weeks um, to go actually develop a show with Bill Maher, and I like Bill a lot, but we we actually weren't that funny together, and I knew we weren't <laughs> being that funny together. Yeah. So I called Paul Witt and asked if he was still looking for somebody to run Golden Girls, uh, and they were, and then he spoke to the network, and I had to meet with the ladies. Um, so let's, let's wow. talk about that. So you were so you were the showrunner for the last two seasons of of the Golden Girls. I was the showrunner for the last four seasons of the, the Golden Girls. Four seasons. So the reason sometimes my credit is co-executive producer and sometimes yeah. executive producer. Um, when I first got the job, they made me co-executive producer because. Um, you know, Terry Hughes, who directed the show, was an executive producer. They didn't know if, you know, it's like they're giving you the keys to the car. They don't know if you're going to crash it or not crash right. it. So they weren't prepared to make me executive producer. Gotcha. That second season that I was there, I was exec executive producer. And then uh, I made the brilliant decision of moving to Boulder, Colorado. Because <laughs> I had little kids. I wasn't seeing my, my kids. Yeah. Um, so we worked it out that I was only there six weeks for pre-production to get all the scripts ready. Mm -hmm. And then I would fly in Monday morning for the table mm -hmm. and Tuesday night after the run through, or if it was a tough week on Wednesday after the run through, I'd come back to Colorado. Wow. There were lots of people who were ready for more people like Mitch Hurwitz mm -hmm. and those kind of people were ready for more responsibility. Uh, so, and fortunately the ladies liked me and didn't want, they didn't want me going away. Uh -huh. yeah. so, so they demoted me again to co-executive producer, <laughs> but I'm still the showrunner, gotcha. and, and, but I just wasn't there all the time. Okay. So you actually started in season four then? Uh, no. Season, so, of, of Golden Girls, uh, five, six, and seven. Five, six, and seven, and yes. Golden Palace was eight. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so that's when you say last four seasons. Got it. Yeah, that makes I, sense. I count Golden Palace because yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> so, let's let's talk about that meeting with the girls when you were taking the job. Like, yes. what what was that like? How did that get set up? What was the uh, conversation like? Uh, I took them to Marino's, which was my favorite restaurant, <laughs> uh, a place with tablecloths. <laughs> um, I, you know. I like clothes. I was dressed as an adult. Mm -hmm. um, I was a stable married man with with little kids, and um, and as it turned out, that B was a fan of it's of it's a living. Oh, that's great. Uh, B, I guess uh, after she finished watching Raiders Playbook, we watch uh, it's a living, mm -hmm. and so she knew my work, and they trusted Paul and Tony, um, and. Since I had, you know, I had run another Susan Harris show when I did Big Girl Now, so Susan was pretty comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it was it was a it was a nice lunch. It was a pretty easy lunch. Yeah. And what was what was your relationship like with the women, like as the series went on? 
Um, I was sleeping with all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's what well, it, it was. You had to do it. No, so uh, <laughs> it was good. You know, it was a good working relationship. Um, I wasn't particularly close with them necessarily socially. They, you've heard, they were all great. They were all so professional. Mm-hmm. Um, get, to get, to give you an idea of, the, uh, of uh, this is a story I, I told before, but so when I worked on Laverne and Shirley. I would get a call that would say, the ladies would like to see you on stage. And I would get that call, and the first thing I would do is I'd call my wife and say, I'm not going to see you tonight. I'm going to be working all night. Because what would happen is you'd go down to the stage, and they'd want to show you something that they came up with that had absolutely nothing to do with the script. But they were really funny. So you were going to spend the rest of the night trying to figure, okay, so they've decided they want to be dressed up as Alice in Wonderland, how does that work with this show that we've written? Right. Yeah. Um, so it was not the best call in the world to get to hear that the ladies wanted to see you on stage. So now it's met years later, and I, I'm early on my Golden Girls run, and I get a call that says the ladies would like to see you on stage. It's like, oh man, what have I signed up for? So I go down there, and Betty literally wanted to change the word this to that. Get out. <laughs> say this one, she wanted to say that one. So that was the way people respected the writing wow. at, at with Thomas on all their shows. It was very much a writer's place. Wow. Um, I only remember, I think, once I really remember that B didn't want to do a joke um, that we had to. I had to rewrite it. Um, that was something that did, was a, from a script of mine. Um, that um, I wrote something. Do you remember Bert Lahr in, um, um, oh my God, as the, as the Cowardly Lion? Yeah. Okay, so, yes. So, yeah. Right. So Bert Lahr's going so I wrote a line for me that she was going to, she was mad at somebody and she was going to say, uh, I'm going to moiterize him, okay, which she could do. Yeah. For whatever reason, she didn't want to moiterize anybody. <laughs> uh, so I, that, I remember changing that. I remember once writing about a tuna sandwich and all the ladies were very, very big, you know, animal advocates. Right. They didn't want to say tuna sandwich. Other than those two times, I don't remember them complaining about anything. Wow. There were times that we would say, you know what, don't learn this joke, we're going to rewrite it. And they would say, no, 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 give us another day. Give us another day with it, we're going to find something. Yeah. They, it, so wow. the relationship was, was again, professional, mm-hmm. but they, uh, I... Actually, in Eptide's Revenge, uh, Estelle uh, originally, and it was I had to do some pretty big rewriting. Um, Sophia went up to the coffin and, and looked at him. I, I got a call, so I guess this was Tuesday night of a Monday through Friday week. Yeah. With Estelle saying, "I don't want to do the show." Whoa. Um, and we stayed on the phone for about an hour to find out. So really, what was, what really was she uncomfortable about? And what was and that she about? wasn't comfortable going up to the to the coffin and being there for jokes about the way Phil was. You know, he was wearing a teddy because right. of what he wanted to wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was actually great because the the whole thing became more honest, more a real mother's reaction to mm-hmm. to a child let's, dying. Let's talk so, about that episode. So what was yeah. what was that conversation like? What was her objections to the scene? Well, it sounds like she just didn't want to do jokes st- while standing by her son's coffin. Yeah, and it I mean, was it was just honest. It, it was a it was a tough episode for her. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted to ask you about because I think the the moment where she breaks down and says, "My baby is gone." Like, that's the moment out of any Golden Girls episode when she says, my baby is gone. I think that's the one where I always, like, that that episode tugs at my heartstrings and makes me tear up more than any other episode in the entire series. So I'm curious to know what, you know, what was it like to sort of, for her to get that performance out? And, I mean, it was a very emotional week, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, it, 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 it was an emotional week. Uh, that, was emo- that, that was an emotional spot. Uh, B has... A wonderful speech about when when she's giving her the eulogy mm-hmm. about that you know she's mad at Phil for dying and then talks about growing up and you know one of the things I always loved at the table readings I I just like making Paul Witt laugh 
Mm-hmm. He's just a, a really, really, really bright guy. Um, and there's a joke where they talk. She's and the punchline is that she and Phil used to dress up as the Bronte sisters. Yeah, big laugh from Paul Witt. Uh huh. Yeah. Like it's you know, it's you know you don't. I I always say I don't I don't write the jokes. I just get to read them first. You don't know where they come from. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I don't read a lot. I'm not really that literate. Uh, so when you when something comes along and you write down, oh, the, oh, the Bronte sisters, uh-huh. yeah, that's a good joke. I like that one. Yeah, so that was a great speech for her, and it was emotional. And obviously, all the stuff that Estelle had to do was, was emotional. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was an interesting week, you know, in terms of the the run throughs and everything else, because they're well, actors. Aspect, they bring this stuff up. There's yeah. one aspect of the show that I mean, in terms of. I'm obviously the Golden Girls has a large gay audience, and this particular episode is resonates with with you know gay audiences in that there's a large part of the storyline and Phil's storyline in general throughout the series that he's different, he's he's queer, he's there's something very not normal about this man, and there's there's always jokes at his expense, but this episode really takes that sort of queerness and turns it on its head and makes them address it in a way that they've been joking well, and, about. And one of the things that I felt getting into it was that we never honestly looked at that, really. You know, it was very easy to write cross-dressing jokes for Phil, and because we never even saw Phil. Right. Yeah. Um, so it just became, it's an easy joke. Um, you know, he's a guy who wears ladies' clothes, but we never really looked at. So, what's going on with a crossdresser? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, or or anybody who's, however, what the difference is. Yeah. So that's sort of what led me to that was us. So what, you know, because she always talked about her relationship with Angela, mm-hmm. um, but and that was always a joke. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it just struck me as this, you know, what's really going on here. And that might be more interesting than just writing another Phil's, you know, dressing up again. And, and, and I mean, Estelle Getty's, what led Estelle Getty to, to the Golden Girls was Torch Song Trilogy, which yes, is, I right. mean, she has a history of, of sort of gay storylines and being relevant in terms of gay mm. art. And, and so this yeah. episode speaks there's a there's a lot of similarities between torch song trilogy and this episode yeah and, well thank you <laughs> yeah and yeah, I'll, it's, take, I'll take that <laughs> no it's it's true i mean it's it, it deals with a mother dealing with the with a son that she can't relate to yeah i'm yeah. also curious to know because we did meet a lot of you know the girl's children their siblings their parents do you know why they decided i guess the show decided to um i guess and and Phil's life as a character we haven't seen before versus introduce him to the audience as a new character. Is it because you guys had talked about him for so long without actually having yeah, him on the show? Yeah, it would be like all of a sudden on, you know, this is a real old reference, like on, on Rhoda, if Carlton the Doorman showed up, mm-hmm. uh, it's like, why would you, you do that? It's yeah. worked so long. Yeah. Um, and just as this, you know, as a showrunner, you're making certain decisions. Yeah. I was tired of just doing Phil jokes, and so it seemed like a pretty good area for an episode to, you know, the the trick with Golden Girls was, so how do we find something real to write about, and we're going to be funny about, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and just seemed like a, a way to go. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of those episodes in the seasons that that you wrote, I mean, like we were saying at the beginning, like all the death episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. how did the Big Daddy episode come about? The Big Daddy's funeral? It's just easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to kill somebody yeah. than have to do the, you know, does this look normal to you episode? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, because I... There's only seven, you know, there are only seven stories, right? Yeah. So the rent is due and the, the gift of the Magi. And one of them is, is wrong x-ray where you go, oh my God, I've got a lump. And then at the end of the episode, oh, it's not a lump. Well, yeah, that's, you know, that's <laughs> oh, the Oh, I forgot, I got hit by a baseball. It's just swollen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm not good at coming. 
my strength is not coming up. I don't ever have a, a million story ideas. Mm -hmm. Okay, I always would get just the one I need. Yeah, you know, I've got a lousy muse. A lazy muse is what I. <laughs> no, well, I also have to say, like as a showrunner, I mean, that's an incredibly that's a hard job. So I have to commend you for for coming on as a showrunner, especially onto a show that was like. You know, it was already like an Emmy-winning, you know, well-oiled machine. It's that's a I tough knew, job. Here's how I knew it was different. The night they ex they announced that I was the new showrunner, there was a knock on my door at our door at home, and it was a news crew from the local CBS station <laughs> to talk to the new show. It wasn't even NBC. It was not even the net. This wow! Station. And it was like, oh, this is going to be different. Yeah. yeah, it's gonna be different. Wow. So, that and this was again coming from It's a Living, where nobody knew, nobody cared. <laughs> <laughs> I could really do run, reshoot the same script a few times. Would, yeah. no one would know. That's so interesting. So you were one thing I'm always curious, and when we had we talked to Tracy Gamble, we asked him about this as well. You know, you being on the show for the finale for when the show ended. Um, what was that sort of like? How was everybody sort of feeling? Or, you know, do you remember anything about that last week when you guys were doing, you know, the table and the run through of the finale? Everybody was just saying, thank God B is leaving. No. Uh, <laughs> you saw my face there. I was definitely shocked. <laughs> Sorry, kids. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, it too, it was, it was, a, you know, it was an odd week. It was a tough week, you know. Um, we didn't rehearse that last scene very often. Mm -hmm. You know, we just saw it like I think maybe once or twice mm -hmm. just to make sure the words were kind of right. And then they didn't do it again till, till it was time to do it. Wow. Um, you know, and, and since, I mean, you guys know all the episodes, you know, we went through that period where Debbie Reynolds came mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we got Joanne Worley. No, probably not Joanne Worley. Uh, you know, trying to figure out who's going to be that other golden girl. So they, it was just an odd period, you know, knowing that B was leaving and yeah. what was going to happen. Was there talk of Debbie Reynolds actually replacing B and then the show why continuing she was, that's on? Why she was there. Yeah. That's, we wondered about that when we watched that episode. We're like, because Debbie Reynolds was such a huge star. Yeah. We, we yeah. were wondering that if she was sort of being groomed or if she was just appearing in that one episode. Well, it was just that episode to see, well, what's the chemistry? How does this work? Yeah. And oh. then what ended up happening? It just, people didn't think the fans would be into it or... Um, I, I wasn't privy to all those conversations. Yeah. Um, that I think we can say out loud that Golden Palace was not a great idea. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but somewhere for some reason Susan felt that you know that we're not bringing in another lady, and it makes sense for somehow for these three ladies to buy a beachfront hotel in Miami. Yeah. Uh, and. We'll add a kid whose parents have somehow left them at the hotel. Billy, <laughs> Billy Sullivan? Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yep. And so, you know. Well, so. Golden Palace was more, we don't want to go home. We're, we like working together too much. Yeah. Then. yeah. It was a great idea. I, I can I can almost see that. I, I, I almost, I could see how she might feel, um, you know, like, she, I, I can see how she might feel so connected to, to B. Arthur, and especially since Dorothy was such a strong character to feel like replacing her with anybody else yeah. would almost be robbing the audience and the fans yeah. of something. Or unless, you know, unless it was brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Debbie Reynolds is, I, I, yeah. I mean, she's Debbie brilliant. But yeah. So one of the things that I noticed just recently, actually, because I was watching the last season and the last few episodes, so like four, I think, of the last like five episodes are Rose centered and it made me because so there's the one where Rose has the the reunion the high school reunion there's another one where and she faints right she faints yeah. yeah I mean there's like there's multiple episodes in a row where it's Rose centered storylines and it made me think like were they thinking of maybe doing a Rose spinoff or something like no no it just, I just you know what I always find I always find it a little amusing that you Golden Girls fans know so much more about this. You bring up yeah. these things and I go, really? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, and we watch, I mean, the big, we talk about this often on the podcast, but the big difference between 
you know, the story, we talk about things not going in order, like th four episodes in a row where they're row stories. Back then, people had to wait four weeks to see all four of these stories. Yes, Whereas know, I'm, right. I'm watching it like one after the other, after the other, after the other. So, so it, yeah, there is a different, you watch it differently when you binge watch or when you see multiple episodes in a row than you would when they were initially airing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So be. the Golden <laughs> Palace, let's talk yes. about the Golden Palace. So like, NBC passed on it, correct? And it went to CBS. Yes. And what what was that like? Like, what was that experience? Was there ever any doubt about the Golden Palace, especially during these negotiations where... So obviously I wasn't in on the negotiations, mm -hmm. but uh, CBS was not in the position that it is today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and the people who are running CBS were not the same people running CBS then. It was like the third network. It wasn't doing very well. wasn't doing very well. So they were excited about us coming. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but, you know, the Billy Sullivan experiment was so, okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll change the demographic. We'll bring in some younger people. Yeah. Which, you know, when you look at the, what, what, what's always been the big mystery to everybody is that Golden Girls demographic. Yes, we did have a lot of older people, but there were all these kids yeah. who were like 11 and 12 who were babysitting for their younger brothers and sisters who couldn't go out Saturday night, and they were watching the show. That was me. That was us, that was yeah. The, yeah, and, that, and now I'm sure you've seen all the articles that have been written about how millennials are just all over yeah. the show. Yeah. Um, so the whole Billy Sullivan thing was a really bad idea. Well, see, I uh, see. I knew him from because he was in a movie called Rookie of the Year that I saw when I was like twelve or thirteen. So I knew who Billy Sullivan was. But the idea is that parents had left their kid at the hotel and didn't bother coming back. That's a little crazy, don't it's you so think? Funny. I never it's looked disturbing. at it that way. It's I was disturbing. just like, oh, he's a kid who just hangs around and likes, you know, Don Cheadle and, yeah. and, and Cheech Marin. Yeah. So originally, and here's so here's here's some dirt. A so, uh, Cheech wasn't the original cook. Oh, who was? Was it Tommy Chong? Uh, uh, no, I don't remember. I actually don't remember. It was a, 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 a British actor oh. who was doing a Russian accent. Susan had written a, a Russian chef. Because um, they're and, known for cooking. And it just didn't work. Wow. Okay. We had shot like three episodes. Okay. And <laughs> what? And because I was the showrunner, it was the, the actor's anniversary, and he had just brought his wife over from England to celebrate their anniversary and the fact that they were on a American TV series. Oh, no. And that was the night I had to go fire this oh, guy. Oh, no. God. Yeah, don't say his name. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got a sign in my office that still hangs in my office that says, everything about it is appealing. <laughs> Um, from the old song, yeah. no business like show business. Yeah. Uh, so I had to fire him. Oh. Uh, and God. we hired Cheech, and then went back and just reshot those scenes wow. uh, uh, with Cheech as the chef. Wow. And um, we just didn't want to go home. Yeah. Just didn't want to go home. Don, you know, Don Cheadle's character. We saw so many actors. I mean, the character just wasn't working. Mm -hmm. And Don came in and was like, oh, we're brilliant. Look at this. Yeah. Uh, look what we've written. Because he yeah. just, you know, he's, great. he's a great actor. Yeah. And, you know. I think, so. I think the Golden Palace was his training ground for his Oscar nomination later on for the hotel. And, and he didn't thank us. See? And he didn't thank us. No. It should have been no, number one uh, in his... It's not like I got, haven't gotten over it, but... <laughs> he, he never brings up the Golden Palace. <clears throat> no, no thank you note, nothing. Yeah, oh my goodness. Nothing, nothing. So what was that season like? I mean, did, when, when, did you know that you weren't going to be picked up at, towards the end? Like, how, when did you start knowing <laughs> that this wasn't going to work out? <laughs> oh... Probably halfway. Oh, wow. you know. Yeah. The numbers weren't there. We just knew it wasn't as we it wasn't as good. Yeah. It yeah. just wasn't the same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um you know? <laughs> yeah. This wasn't so, so what was what was that? What lesson? crazy person is coming to the hotel this week? <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy was one of them. Dorothy visited for a really mm -hmm. fun episode. Well, and yeah, because and that was part of the deal when she left, she agreed that she would come back for a couple. Yeah. 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 
So what was the last episode of the Golden Palace like? Or was there, did you know there what that was going to be the last? I, you know what? I have no memory. Oh, wow. Yeah. No memory of it. I don't even know what it was. <laughs> I act, you know, I liked the episode that I wrote mm-hmm. about uh, Blanche and the rebel flag yeah. uh, and Don Cheadle. Uh, you know, that, that was sort of a fun episode to write in yeah. terms of some, writing about something. Yeah. Um, but other than that... <laughs> so what happened after Golden Palace for you? Where did you go? Like, what was next for you? Oh, my God. Terrible. So, <laughs> it's it's been all downhill. <laughs> no, well, let's talk about the Improbables. Yeah. Which is very oh, exciting. Yeah, well, hopefully, we're going to go back uphill. So, what happened was, because I was only there, you know, the, the, the plan was I had left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people in Hollywood knew that I would rather be in Colorado instead of California. So, what was weird was, while I was doing those last two years of Golden Girls... Whenever I'd have a meeting with somebody, all they wanted to know was, how did you get this deal? And how does this deal work? And how do you get to be an executive producer? And you're only here two days a week. And how do you get to see your kids and we don't? Yeah. And, you know, and so, and I made a representation change at that time that was not the smartest thing in the world to do. Because um, I left a guy named Brad Gray, who you may have. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I was one of Brad's. His first four clients were Gary Shandling, Bob Saget, Dave Coulier, and Mark Sotkin. Wow. When his office was on the corner of telephone and telephone. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, when I left, I didn't think he was taking care of me. Anyway, I wound up with another agent. So then I wound up doing things like the Sinbad show. Mm -hmm. I was the fourth showrunner of the season. Oh, Wow. So wow. you knew that, that wasn't the best experience in the world. Yeah. I did a show called uh, First Time Out mm. with uh, a comedian named Jackie Guerra. Yeah. Um, yes, kids, you're going to have to Google if you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and that was, and I got fired from that job, uh, referring to my star as something that was less than complimentary, and it got back to her. I mean, whatever. And... Um, even though I explained that I meant it in the nicest possible way, <laughs> didn't help. Oh, Certain boy. things you can't call your star, even behind her back. So that didn't wow. work out. Yeah. I did a thing called You Wish that was a Michael Jacobs show about uh, a woman with two kids who somehow had a genie, oh. which would be a great thing, Yeah. except she didn't want to use the genie because she didn't want to spoil the kids. <laughs> Oh, amazing. Just can't, and you just can't, there's no way Robin Williams wants to be the genie, huh? No yeah. way. <laughs> so the genie wasn't that good, and yeah. uh, mom was always uh, unhappy because the genie was there. Yeah. So I kept getting really worse and worse shows, and at some point it was like, okay, this isn't working. So, mm-hmm. um, so I've written a few novels nice. since I've been here. I've started a couple internet companies, and then recently. To get to the improbable, yes. yeah. Somebody sent me a link to this video that an artist in New York did called "Super Golden Friends," which yeah. every everybody who listens to our podcast they has seen. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's a, it, so you know what we're talking about. Yeah, the superheroes. And, and Kevin just sent me the link to that, and Kevin Bapp had done an amazing job. So I just sent him an email saying, "Hey, I'm Golden Girls. You made me laugh. This is terrific." Yeah. And started talking, and Kevin had drawn a few other superheroes, but I, di- I didn't think it was going quite up the right road uh, in terms of where he was taking them. And I said, you know, there is something funny about five older superheroes who did not get the best superpowers in the world, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, who lived together in New York. And, <laughs> I love uh, it. Um, and we agreed that that was pretty funny. Yeah. And I said, you know what, I don't, I don't want to do it alone. So I brought Tracy Gamble, who was one of the funniest people in the world, yeah. and Tracy liked it. And I said, you know what, let's just do it as a graphic novel so we don't have to go pitch it to anybody. We don't have to ask anybody's permission. So we wrote this thing, and you know, we're script writers. It really mm-hmm. said, well, this is a two-parter. This, you know, It's going to take Kevin, you know, by the time we die, he may be finished with the graphic novel. <laughs> um, so I said, you know, let's just put up a website, maybe do some short videos, see if it works. Yeah. Uh, um, 
And so I reached out and Jimmy, JJ Walker, people remember from Good Times, Dynamite, Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, agreed to be denominator or a guy who's good at math. Amazing. And, and Bruce Valanche, if you're familiar with yes. Bruce. Yes. Bruce, you know, wrote every Oscar show ever yep. until about mm-hmm. years ago, but was in the center square and the Hollywood squares. Yeah. And Bruce and I went to day camp together. Get oh, out. Wow. And uh, then went to school together. And as adults, Bruce was nice enough to forgive me for being such a horrible person in day camp. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't quite as enlightened. I wasn't writing M. Tide's Revenge back in yeah. <laughs> day camp. Yeah. Uh, and he agreed to be Radio Interference Man. Great. And uh, Jimmy Valley, who is um, brilliantly funny, mm-hmm. who is a writer on Golden Girls and has since writes most of Arrested Development with Mitch Hurwitz. Uh. Uh, I was part of the, the comedy group, uh, The Funny Boys who were funny enough, they were on the Tonight Show, they were in. So he's timepiece, the guy who can see five seconds into the future. So uh, great. Just five seconds. So now that he's older, he's seen five seconds into the past sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Tells you after you've stepped in dog shit, which is not a big help sometimes. No, it's absolutely not. Uh, and uh, Paul Wilson, who was um, on Cheers, there was a character, Paul, who was at the, the bar very mm-hmm. often. Uh, he's actually from Off the Wall, uh, the improv group that I was oh, in. So I'm wow. Paul forever, and he's playing Shut Eye, the guy who can put stadiums of people to sleep in one sentence. <laughs> uh, a great actor, Jordi Caballero. Um, for a while, I was doing these weekly just little videos called Boomer Alley, and Jordi had been on one of those, and I reached out to Jordi, and he's playing Centauro, who's a centaur. Uh-huh. And... Uh, so I had my cast, and we started just recorded them doing a few little things, and we put up the first couple little vines. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think pretty soon we're going to go pitch it and try to, because uh, again I've liked it so much that now besides that original graphic novel, which is turned into two episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've written another episode. I'm three quarters of the way through with another episode. That's Tracy's right. writing an episode. So we're going to go out and try to sell it. So, so where can people find some of these things that you're putting out? So if you go to the improbablesshow.com, uh-huh. um, if you share that link, uh, they go there. And from there, they can you know find our Facebook page and the stuff's on Facebook. And uh, on the site, we're put, doing some blogging, just letting people see what it's like taking it from yeah. Point, yeah. point zero to point wherever we get to. Yeah. Um, but it, it's pretty funny. It's getting it's funnier. We love it. I mean, as soon as as soon as Tracy sent me the info for it, I I, I was a fan. It's yeah, crazy. it's and, amazing. And what's fun is, so Kevin uh, is a graphic, great graphic artist, but he's never done animation before. Mm. So wow. he's so he's in the midst of his learning process. So he like these first vines, he's excited because now people he's got people talking and their eyes are kind of moving a little bit and their arms are moving a little bit. <laughs> so uh, we're making progress. It's just so great that someone who made this amazing piece of like Golden Girls fan art was then actually able to pair up yeah. with writers from the Golden Girls to make something. That's something very he's pretty, special. He, he's pretty excited about it. Yeah. He, he's just really talented. You know, unfortunately, the, the uh, technique that he used to do Super Golden Friends is something called rotoscope. It's a very old yeah, technique. Yeah, it's very and it time take, consuming. It took him three years to make that video. That, so the idea yeah. that we would do a show using rotoscope uh, no. is is not an option. No. So uh, we're in the midst of talking to animation people, and uh, and Kevin's learning how to anim- animate, and mm-hmm. uh, we're just great. having it's it's fun. It's funny. It's, well, everyone it's, should go check it out and probably yeah, show dot com. Yeah. yeah, and don't be afraid to leave comments because at yeah. this point. I'm really trying to get feedback, what people like. You know, as far as I start, my daughter got engaged this weekend. Oh, congratulations. But, uh, so her fiancé, <laughs> Joe. <Yeah. laughs> so Joe's 25, and he, they've been checking out. So we're finding that 25-year-old guys seem to like Centauro for, for whatever reason. They think yeah. That he, so... Whatever feedback we're getting is really helpful. So people should feel free to tell us what they like, what they don't like. 
Definitely. I don't pay much attention to what they don't like, but I leave it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I think we should just say, Mark, that just on behalf of Golden Girls fans everywhere, um, thank you for your contribution um, to a show that is still iconic to this day. And um, just thank you because it's amazing and, and everybody loves it so much. So um, your contribution to it as a writer and as a showrunner are greatly appreciated. Well, and I think, you know, it's, it's, so re it's really rewarding to see how many people, you know, it's on what? Seven times, you know, it's on four yeah. times a day on Hallmark. Yeah. And then there's the, another network, I guess, cable network that's running it. TV Land and Logo. Yeah. yeah, they run it a bunch of times a day. Yeah. And, you know. Hope you're still getting those residual checks. You know, the here's, so here's what I'm bitching about. Okay, you want to hear what? <laughs> Welcome to my hell. You know, there's acting residuals, there's directing residuals, oh. there's writing residuals if it says written by Mark Sotkin. Mm -hmm. But most of my time was spent rewriting other people. Yeah. And so when I was starting, Gary Marshall taught me, you don't go to arbitration when somebody else writes the script because they're going to need those residuals too. Yeah. So I only wrote, I mean, you've got the, yeah. what I write, seven of them, eight of them? Yeah. yeah. If I wrote One, that two, many? Three, six. Six of them. Yeah. It's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. There's no producing residuals. Yeah. Oh. I hear no you. So if they were producing res residuals between Laverne and Shirley and Golden Girls, I wouldn't be talking to you people. <laughs> no, you, you would be somewhere. I wouldn't care about the improbables. I wouldn't no, care about anything. No, you'd you, would, on an island. you would be I'd on be your my, own island in a mansion I'd be that you built. My Scrooge McDuck counting room is yeah. where. I'd be. So, but anyway, thank you because it, it it actually is rewarding to see how many people still love the show and it's great. So so thank you for the for the kind words. You guys, wasn't Mark the best? Carrie and I had a blast talking with him. Basically iconic. And we love getting these iconic, awesome, former GG staffers on the podcast. And if you guys like what you listen to, you should like go to iTunes and rate us and leave a comment because we need that. And of course, if you want more Golden Girls love, you can go to Out on the Lanai. Dot com. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Golden Girls Podcast. We're also on Tumblr, and you can go to our new Twitter account, Golden Girls Pod. And guys, this is a HeadGum Podcast, and we are hosted on Spreaker. And you know what? You should stay golden. Yeah, stay golden. Bye. <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.